You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. To Abraham a promise, a sky full of stars he sees. And the prophecy of the Lord has said, so shall your offspring be. To Isaac a sacrifice, not him to the knife, but a ram. And so will say the Lord to him, for you will sojourn in this land. To Jacob a blessing, but only after struggle. And he shall lead his people with a limb and is so renamed Israel. Hear, O Israel, you are to love the Lord your God. You live and struggle and groan in strife, but you pray to the God most high. Rejoice, O Israel, the Lord has seen, the Lord has heard. A deliverance is coming soon, the savior of the world. To Mary came an angel, he told her not to fear. For to the virgin a child is born, Emmanuel is here. Our hope is in this gift of love, this promised Prince of Peace. Rejoice today, for he's coming again. His reign will never cease. The season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from fruit. It's rent time. And the, the fourth player is the servants. Right? And so he sends a servant and says, okay, it's time for you to pay your portion. But they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. They say, no, it's not rent time. Right? We're not paying our rent. And so the man comes back and says, they, they tore me up. They said, we're not paying. And so he sent another servant. They struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. They beat him up. They cut his beard. They write on him with a sharpie. They embarrass him, whatever. And they send him back empty-handed. And so he sends another. And they kill him. And with so many others, he just keeps sending and sending and sending. And some they beat and some they killed. At some point you're like, what do you, what do you keep sending him for? Right? The servants represent the, the prophets and the leaders that God keeps sending to the nation of Israel. The Isaiahs, the Jeremiahs, the Daniels, the Amoses, the Obadiahs. He keeps sending them and begging them, just bear fruit. Just bear fruit. And they killed them. They killed Isaiah. They saw them in two. They threw Daniel in a lion's den. Amos, they tortured. Habakkuk, they stoned. And on and on and on. John the Baptist, they beheaded. And then there's still one more. Verse six. He had still one other. A beloved son. It's the same language at the baptism of Jesus. The father, uh, the heavens open up. The father speaks. You are my beloved son. And you, I am well pleased. And it's obvious who this is. This is Jesus. This is the beloved son. So verse seven, the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. Likely in their mind, they think, well, the owner is dead. The son is coming. If we take him out, then it's ours. And that day, if the owner died and there was land uh, tenants, the legal, legally, the land would often go to them. So they're thinking, oh, we kill him, it's ours. But the problem with that logic is the landowner is not dead. He's very much alive. And so they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. A picture of what exactly would happen to Jesus. They took him out of the city, outside the gates of Jerusalem, and they murdered him, right? And so Jesus asked him a question. What will the owner of the vineyard do what is he gonna do? 
Because the rejection of, of his son is a rejection of him. How is he gonna respond? He's gonna drop the hammer. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And Mark's gospel leaves uh, their response out. Luke's gospel includes it. And, and they say, may it never be. No way. Don't let this happen. And then he says this to them. Have you not read the scripture? Luke says that he looks intently at them. It's a word that means just to stare. It's to look. He says, have you not read the scripture? You guys are the experts. You guys know the Bible back and forth. You're the, you keep the law. Have you not read this? The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The, the, the one that, that you said, nope, next. We don't like that one. Reject. That has become the very most important stone, the one that will be laid first, the one that will have the walls, both walls weight on them, the one that will set all the angles. The most critical stone in the structure you rejected and it became the most important. And here's, here's again, a Jewish culture grasps this, we don't get it. This is quoted from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is called a Hallel Psalm. There's a couple Hallel songs. These are praise songs that the pilgrims would sing as they went to Jerusalem during the feasts. So there's seven or eight of these psalms that as they're going up the, up the road to Jerusalem, they're singing these songs as kind of worship and just encourage each other as they go. This is one of those psalms. And remember, they're three days out from the cross, which means they're all there for a feast. They're all there for the Passover feast. So this very psalm, these people were singing earlier that week. They were singing. I don't know what the tune was. Stone that the builders rejected, you know, whatever. And they're going up the hill singing it. And he says, if... if if that's not true, what was that song you were singing earlier this week? What does that mean? So he, they're, they're, he's like, he's using their scripture. What does it mean then that this is not going to happen, right? And then he closes with this, quoting the, the rest of the psalm. This is the Lord's doing. This is what Yahweh is doing. And it is marvelous or remarkable is what the word means. It's beautiful, it is amazing. And they understand immediately, they get it. So verse 12, they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. They understand that they are the, they are the tenants. They understand he is claiming to be the heir. And they are afraid for now. But a couple days later, in the, dark of night, they will come and they will arrest him and they will lead him away. But not yet, because it is not Scott's time. And that's the end of the story. I know some of you are thinking, that's not exactly a love story. It's more like, you know, fight club or something, but it's not a love story. It isn't on the surface. But, but if you stand back just a little bit and see the big picture of what God is doing, what we've been talking about with Emmanuel, with God with us, how God with us brings us hope, and God with us brings peace, and God with us brings joy. God with us brings love. Now, let me highlight just two ways this is a love story. And then we'll just think about it and remember it and sing and worship. The first is this. I want you to see the patience of God in this, in this story. How patient is the landowner I mean, as the parable goes on, you're like, are you, why do you keep sending these servants? They're just getting picked off. Don't you care? 
Servant after servant, chance after chance, patience. I can tell you, if, if the Georgia Power guy comes to your house to read your meter and you beat him up, and then they send another one to read your meter and you beat them up, they are not going to be as patient. I can promise you. Nobody is this patient. God's this patient. You're not this patient. Someone wrongs you. I mean, you, you miss one light. Oh, come on. You're not patient. You're leaning on the horn. I was standing in line at Publix yesterday. I've told you before, my mom likes to write checks. All right? And I'm being patient with her. She's writing a check. The guy behind her was so mad. He was this old dude. It looked like maybe, you know, he barely got in the door. And I'm thinking, where are you rushing to, buddy? I about disqualified myself from ministry because I was about to say something, but I didn't. I was just kind of like, I used to be you. But then I realized, you're not gonna get my mom to use a check card. You're just not gonna do it. No one is this patient. God is this patient. And you know what, how is that related to love? Think about 1 Corinthians 13, you know the famous love passage. Love is, what's the first thing Paul says? Patient. God's patience is rooted in his love. And you need to know this morning, wherever you've been, God is patient. We, we, in this Advent season, Advent is not only looking back to God's first coming, but it also looks forward to his second coming. Do you know why? Jesus hasn't come back yet. Do you know why? Peter tells us. It's not that the Lord is slow to fulfill his promise, right? It's not, he's not slow. He's not like, man, I gotta wait till. He is patient towards you, not wishing any should perish. God is not up there thinking, I just wanna smite people, smite, smite, smite. God longs for people to come to repentance And so he is not slow. He will return one day, but he is waiting for people to respond to his grace and his mercy. That's our God. And if you've come in this room and you've had a a bad week, and some of you had, you need to know that we have a God who is patient. And, And Paul also says this about God's patience. Do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God is patient because he wants you to return, to respond to his grace, not to take advantage of it, not to abuse it, because he is gracious. That's the kind of God we have. And and you'll never grasp that, this patience and this love, unless you don't see yourself in the parable. There could be a sixth character in in the parable, and that that would be uh, you, and me, and you could just lump us in with the tenants, right? Because what are the tenants, what's their problem? The tenants are acting like owners, aren't they? They're treating the land that God has given them to, to, to work, they're treating it like it's theirs. They're just, they're bad renters. They're the renters that move in, they break the lease, they paint all the walls, fuchsia, they put 16 broken down cars in the front yard and a Dale Earnhardt pole in the front yard, right? That's, they're bad renters. That's us. And you will never, you'll never appreciate the patience of God if you don't see that you're, he's being patient with us. He's gracious. He's kind. He's patient, right? Even when we're like mine, 
my life, my land, my body, my money, my time. God is patient. And he keeps sending people. And he sends all sorts of people, right? He sends grandparents and parents and friends and teachers and uh, community group leaders and young life leaders to, to point you back to him because God is patient towards us because God loves us. And I want you to know that this morning, right? His patience is rooted in his love. So don't run from it. Run to it. Run towards him. That's the first, first thing about love this story teaches. There's one more, and maybe it's a little bit less obvious. But I wanna get you to see it by asking you a couple questions. I'll be your attorney this morning, all right? Let me ask you a couple questions. Question number one. Does the landowner, the father in the parable, does he know the danger he is sending his son into? He does. Does the, God the Father know what he is sending Jesus into when he sends him to the earth? Does he know uh, what they did to his prophets? Does he know that there's gonna be no room for him in the inn? Does he know that his parents are broke as a joke with no prospects, does he know that Herod, before he will be able to walk, will be trying to kill him? That Satan will tempt him? That the leaders will deceive the people? That they will plot against him? That they will take his son, and they will whip him, and they will spit on him, and they will nail him to a very tree that he created on a hill that he brought up? Does he know? He knows, and he still sends his beloved. His beloved, not his, well, I'm indifferent about, no, it's his beloved son. And that goes against every parental instinct. Some of you parents out there, you're looking up on stage, and you're, you're, you put a little bow tie against your kid's will this morning, and you comb their hair, and they look so, because you're so proud, and you will do everything you can. You would lay down your life for that child. You take pictures of them, you're gonna, it's probably already on Facebook, isn't it, isn't it? <laughs> you already get, you're looking at how many likes I got, grandma. Why, because the natural parental instinct is you would do, you would die for your kid. Wouldn't you? I would. Right? We'd love our kids. And we would do anything for them. And the father sends the son. Question number two, does the son know what he's walking into? He does. Does he know that he is leaving the place where he is the absolute center of attention and glory? That he is trading a throne for a feeding trough? Does he know that his stepdad wanted nothing to do with him until an angel had to show up and say, take Mary? Does he know that? Does he know that he created all things, but now he's gonna have to be dependent on a 14-year-old girl to feed him? That the one who declared everything into existence, remember, all things are created through him, by him, for him. The one who spoke a thousand millions of galaxies into existence now has to learn how to walk, has to 
We'll be sweaty. We'll be tired. We'll be hungry. Does he know? Does he know that his own brothers and sisters are going to think he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs until after the resurrection? That they're embarrassed by him. That the ones he came to save would be his enemies. That his best friends in the world who he loved to the end, he protected them, he fed them, he cared for them, that they would run away and deny they even knew him. Did he know that the fellowship that he has enjoyed in the Trinity for all eternity past would be broken for a time, for the only time in, in, in history? Did he know that although he was God's beloved son, that he would be the object of his daddy's wrath? He knew. And he came anyway. Second idea of God's love is that he knows. He knew what he was getting into, and he came anyway. The father knew, the son knew. And you say, why? Why would he do it? And there's a real simple answer and the most famous verse in the Bible besides Jesus wept. For God so loved. God so loved. Some translations capture the idea a little bit clearer. It's this is how great God's love is. This is how God loved us. How? He gave his only son. His beloved. See, you cannot see the manger without the shadow of the cross behind it. That's why he came. He knew he would be rejected. This is the prophecy. This was according to Acts chapter two that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. This was the plan from eternity past. Before God spoke creation into existence, the triune God had already decided that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, would be incarnate, he would become a man, and he would have to die for his very creation. That was decided way before Adam in eternity past. He knew. And he did it anyway. Why? Because he loved you. And all I want us to know this morning, wherever you're at, Wherever you've been, you are loved by God. How much he gave you his beloved. I can tell you, I'm not giving you my beloved. I'll give you Milton. (laughs) You can have him tomorrow if you want him. But I'm not giving you my beloved. Never would I give you my beloved. And it's not that I don't love you. But God gave you his beloved. And he died for you in your place so that you could have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I'm gonna go back to that one again because I love that verse 17, which is ignored so often. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. That's why we have joy and peace and hope It's all because of the love of God, y'all. And I know some of you are frustrated. You're like, I wanted three things to do this week. All right, let me give you three things to do. For those of you who just can't laugh, just enjoy the love of God. You're an action movie guy, fine. You don't like a rom-com, fine, whatever. Go love other people. 
All right, there's your application, right? Isn't this, what, isn't this what 1 John says? Beloved, if God so loved us, and he did, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You want an application besides just, just bask in the love of God? Go love other people like God loves you. You weren't thinking about that application, were you? Go love your enemies. Well, I don't know, I mean, I'll love my family. No, go love your enemies. God says love your brother. He says love your spouse. He says love your enemies. He says love everybody. There's your application. But really what I want us to, you can't just go do that unless you grasp the love of God. This is why Paul says he prays that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Just listen to these words. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's kind of an oxymoron, right? He wants you to know something that you can't know. That's how great the love of God is for you. It is not based on what you have done. It is based on him, period. Love bears all things. It endures all things. That's the love of God. That you may be filled with the fullness. That's, that's what we want this Christmas. We don't wanna be filled with Walmart toys. We wanna be filled with the fullness of God. And that comes as you think on and just bask in the love of Christ. I didn't put a slide up for this one, but I thought about this verse this morning. Just listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, Christ's love controls us. It's, it's not our love for Christ. It's Christ's love for us, controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they live for him who died and was raised for him. It's the love of God. It controls us. It compels us to go love others. You can't just go try to love people. If you think, I'm gonna go love people. No, no, it's the love of God for you that motivates you to love unconditionally. I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what I want for us. Because some of you feel right now unloved, I know, and you're struggling. And you're, this is a joyful time for some and it is a very lonely time for some. And we need to know Mary and Joseph were alone, but they weren't alone. They were loved by God. You are loved by God. God, if you leave and you get nothing else except for we have cute kids in our church, know that you are loved by God. How much? He gave all that he had. He couldn't give anything else. If he could, he would have given it. Just, and, and again, you will not grasp that unless you see yourself as the tenant. If you don't see yourself as the one who said, no, no, and he loved you anyway. If you think, yeah, of course he loves me. I'm good, I'm nice, I'm kind. If you don't see yourself as the one who rejected him, you won't appreciate that love. God loves sinners. He demonstrates his love for us and while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You are loved by God, CBC. How much are you loved by God? Here's, here's the beauty of, of the love of God. God loves you as much as he loves his son. Think about that. Think about God the Father loves you as much as he loves his son. 
It's the love of God. And we're gonna remember that as we celebrate uh, just the symbols that God has given us to remember his love in the table this morning. So if you've been asked to, to serve, uh, we, you guys can move to the back and gals can move to the back now. And we're just gonna take some time and think and remember the love of God in Jesus. As you hold tangible reminders, you're gonna be holding a tangible reminder of the love of God, that he gave his body for you, that he poured out his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, we invite you to just celebrate. Whether you're you know, visiting from Timbuktu or this is your first time, if you're a follower of Jesus, celebrate with us. Think on the love of God. He came because of his love for you. And so what we'll do is the folks will hand, hand these elements out. Hold on to it just for a few minutes. The team will kind of lead us in a song and sing over us as you kind of just have some, a few moments to reflect on that in your heart. And then I'll come back up and I'll lead us together uh, as we partake in the table. So let me pray. Father, I just thank you for a simple reminder that you love us. Thank you that we can celebrate that in your table this morning. Uh, to remember the love of God in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray.